As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show's Euro 2020 coverage, day 19. It's the one where I try my best not to be insufferable. Let's see how long that lasts. Bring me my bow (laughs) of burning gold. Now, it lasts. Bring me my arrows of desire. I've had enough. (laughs) Bring me my spear, oh, clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot. Let me off the train. Being a captive audience for this is terrible. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have brought the European Championships trophy to England's green (laughs) and pleasant. Land. Yes, England, the inventors of the sport, the rightful owners of soccer, the guardians of the beautiful game, have broken their German Wembley curse with a sterling performance that saw off a slightly dreary Deutschland, which leaves die Mannschaft at a bit of a low and without a low, quite literally. It's been 55 years since England have beaten Germany in a tournament, 25 years since Gareth Southgate inspired heartache against the Germans in this tournament at Wembley from the penalty spot and now Southgate has brought vindication and joy to a nation that's been long suffering although a lot of that suffering is the nation's own fault for doing a Brexit and so on but England take my bones I love you forevermore also today Sweden Ukraine played some soccer anyway joining me today is a man who wishes to be serenaded by Ed Sheeran from the room next door just like Mason Mount at England's training HQ Taylor Rockwell hello Oh, that was my favorite anecdote of the day. Uh, not my favorite moment, because now it's Ryan Bailey singing. That was a phenomenal introduction, much as I complained uh, throughout it. And doubly so, because I'm pretty sure I could hear Graham Ruthven's teeth audibly grinding in the background. <laughs> You're very welcome, Taylor. Um, I, I didn't sing it as well as Ed Sheeran would have done. Uh, the story being that he went to the HQ to serenade mm-hmm. the players, and Mason Mel had to sit on the other side of a door. 
Was I, right? I'm, cho- I'm choosing to believe it was a sort of Shakespearean situation. Mason Mount on his balcony. Uh, Ed Sheeran was down below singing him songs to motivate him to do well and maybe get some tactical instruction in there as well. <laughs> bless him. Bless him. Joining us also today, Taylor, is a man who admitted that he slept through the Dark Knight movie. Joe Lowry, explain yourself. <laughs> um, I, I don't... Man, Ryan, you really hung me out to dry there. I can't... I, I told everyone that in confidence. No, I, it's a good movie. The, all the Batman movies, all three of them, those are good. They're good films. I have a bad habit of sleeping through all movies. I've also slept through parts of The Lord of the Rings as well. Um, so, I don't know. What... What, what, what am I going to do about it? It's Joe is reeling. <laughs> Joe, you watched five hours of Sweden against Ukraine. I was just going to say, oh my that. gosh. Uh, so, uh, true confession time. We didn't talk about this in our pre-show meeting, if that's what you want to call before we start recording. My internet went out for part of the latter stages of the second half and part of extra time for Sweden Ukraine. I'm confident in the fact that I missed nothing, except for the red card, which we've been arguing about for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, I miss a lot of things, Ryan. I miss a lot of things. Ah, oh, well, um, you don't miss on this podcast where you hit the target every time? Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. Also joining us is a man who was an honorary German this morning. Uh, he's, he was an honorary Sweden fan later on. Graham, what are you now? Uh, just tired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who even cares about the Euros anymore? <laughs> I do uh, you can always rely on England to get carried away. To be fair, I'd also be excited if I'd won a Euros knockout tie for the first time in our history. Uh. <laughs> I mean, one day, in your, if you, if you car- extrapolate on from Scotland's qualification process, Graham, maybe in your 50s you'll see it happen again? Uh, I'm going to interject still to- here. Still because- talking about Scotland. <laughs> I am going to ask this question to to save Graham from Ryan for a moment. Graham, yesterday you you acknowledged that you had a feeling that there was a chance that England might make it all the way to the final, if not win the whole thing. I I genuinely don't know if you are a sort of jinx, reverse jinx type of person, and I and I am now curious if that was an attempt to jinx England into losing today. No, no, that was that was a genuine feeling. Okay. I, I I just have a feeling that this this is going badly. This is going really <laughs> badly. Scotland qualify for a tournament for the first time in twenty three years, and it just so happens to be the one that England win. I can see it. This is not actually an England good luck, good fortune tale. It's a Scottish bad fortune tale. That's why I can see it happening. I can I can see it unfolding in front of me for that reason. Uh, Graham, to paraphrase Mean Girls, stop trying to make Fitbar happen. Um, it's <laughs> over, okay? Um, what's also over, by the way, uh, guys, the group of death, all dead. Did we expect that at this point? I'm not sure. Taylor, <laughs> how do you feel about that? I didn't even realize that till now, and my face is now sitting here in stunned silence. Because no, I did not expect that, nor did I realize that, nor did I see that coming at all. But I think with the way these games played out, especially uh, England-Germany today, I thought England got their game plan right. And I really enjoyed Graham's piece, which he then had to write about how Gareth Southgate was sort of vindicated in his approach. Uh, but I thought England set up really well, weathered the first couple minutes, and then once they maybe... Just got their bearing, like got through that initial stage of Germany, having the ball, feeling dominant. I think they grew into grew into the game and played pretty exceptionally. So yes, we are going first, of course, to England against Germany. Uh, Taylor, two uh, nil. England were the victors here. Forty five thousand fans at Wembley for Yogi Love's retirement party, and it went very well. Um, the first time England have beaten Wembley uh, since nineteen seventy four uh, in a friendly, and England have beaten Germany in a knockout game for the first time since nineteen sixty six. Graham, do you remember what happened in that one? 
in 66 when we beat them in a knockout round. I think it was the year before a Scottish team became the first British side to win the European Cup. I think oh, that was sure. the most notable thing about 66. <laughs> yeah. That it, it was the year before 67. That is the most notable thing about 66. Right? That's what I always think. Yep. <laughs> um, but um, I have to be quite clear here. Um, the reason England won today is because of me. Um, <laughs> because before the game today, I went for a run and I listened to Three Lions, the wonderful song by the Lightning Seeds and Badil and Skinner, twice. I did this also after the Croatia game. I did this also. Sorry, I did it before the Croatia game. I did it before the Czech Republic game. The only game I didn't do it for was the Scotland game. Coincidence? Basically, England need me on Saturday morning to go for a run and listen to Three Lions to beat Ukraine in Rome. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up for the team. Taylor, how do you feel about the song Three Lions? I am really excited for this to go the way a certain episode of Always Sunny goes when Charlie starts to hallucinate and think that the Philadelphia Eagles are telling him that his rituals and his rituals al- are alone <laughs> are what's winning them the Super Bowl. And I'm, and I'm excited for how Ryan ends up having to uh, do horrible things to make sure that England win. In terms of that song, to answer your actual question... I- I am confused by it. And, and the reason why is because I, I can't even remember what the situation was, but I was making fun of the English for sort of, I think criticizing, like, I think it was when they were criticizing the U.S. for their sort of over the top celebrations, uh, in the Women's World Cup. And I was sort of mentioning that, like, this is the same country that keep, won't stop singing about footballs coming home and then talking about arrogance. And the response to that was pretty unanimously like, oh, this guy doesn't get it. It's all sung tongue in cheek. It's all ironic. No one actually means it. It's all sort of a joke that we all sing along to, but no one really believes it. And yet here we are again with it being constantly repeated and sung and talked about. And it feels like it's not serious until you all decide it's serious as long as you're alive in the tournament. Is that a fair read on that song? I think your read is slightly off because it's not a positive song. It's not an arrogant song. It's about failure. All the lyrics are about failure, Taylor. So many jokes, so many sneers, but all those oh so nears weigh you down through the years. It's it's about it's about British self deprecation in many ways. I wouldn't right, say what is the name of the like what is but then the, it, the but hook? yeah it, it references that but then <laughs> yeah. leads to a crescendo of glory and in, yeah. in England you know winning. I, um, I, I I think in 2018 it was it was sang uh, or sung in in tongue in cheek in 2018. I don't think it's been sung tongue in cheek at this tournament. I think there's a little bit of arrogance behind it. But you know what? It's objectively. Dare I admit it? It's objectively a good football anthem. It I is. don't think you can deny that. It is. And uh, I, I, watching on TV at Euro 96 when the whole stadium was singing It's Coming Home and like Badil and Skinner were in the crowd in tears, That's that will stay with me forever because that's just it's iconic. And it is an iconic song, whether, whether you like it or not, whether you see it as arrogant or not. I can see it as a bit arrogant, but I, I see it more as a it's a the hope that kills you kind of song because uh, we are a generally negative people. Um, Taylor but not today Joe let's talk about England shall we I'd love to start doing that because um, (laughs) Gareth Southgate was getting absolute pelters before the game for his lineup for the way set up here a pretty defensive team essentially five defenders two defensive midfielders um, and many players Grealish Mount Sancho Foden all left out of the starting lineup here Joe Um, even certain members of the TSS crew were saying he's going to get slaughtered for this if it doesn't work out but he was vindicated for this approach do you feel Joe? Absolutely. Yeah. England play not to lose. That's exactly how they've approached every game in this tournament. Not necessarily to win, but they go about winning by not losing. And sometimes playing not to lose makes it hard to win. 
but today they won anyway, even while trying to play to not lose. See, I've, I've kind of confused myself here. But the idea is they play so conservatively. And so I, I see this lineup and I'm not surprised, right? We'd heard about England likely trying to mirror the way that Germany play and Germany's 3-4-3, so England go 3-4-3. That's fine. I think there's a lot of tactical validity behind that, trying to compress space. It leads to a lot of man-to-man matchups, that sort of thing. That'll make sense. Personnel-wise, though, it was pretty conservative, just like it's been for most of this tournament now. Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice as the double pivot, and sometimes Phillips moving higher earlier in the group stage of this tournament. That's been the heart and soul of this team. Those are players that are pretty much the first two on the lineup sheet every single game because Gareth Southgate wants that solid foundation in central midfield to build off of. And he's not building off of it to have the wingers uh, combining with those midfielders and the fullbacks coming inside. There's, I mean, or, or even the wingbacks pushing high or any of that stuff. That doesn't really happen in this England team. They control games through possession. Instead of pulling a Sweden and controlling, oh, that's a bad example because Sweden didn't really do that as much <laughs> today. But instead of pulling a classic Jan Andersen Sweden and controlling the game by defending and sitting deeper, England control the game with the ball. And it doesn't lead to this super exciting uh, attacking game for a whole 90 minutes, but it can at times really lead to one or two golden attacking chances. And when you have that strong foundation to defend with, those one or two really strong chances with your really, really good attacking players can be enough to win games. And that's what we saw today. Right. So that, that's kind of the way I saw it too, Joe. And, and the fact that England were set up quite defensively, it's kind of, it was a yin and yang situation, Taylor. Do you feel with the way that German, Germany had quite an attacking um, lineup in this one? And if you look at, say, how Portugal approached Germany, they kind of were a bit more, a bit less conservative, I would say, a bit, went for it a little bit more than England did and paid the price. So you can just look at that as Southgate, yes, it's conservative. Yes, it doesn't, it, it doesn't send chills down your spine when you see the starting 11, but it worked, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a big believer in the idea that if you're making the other team blink first, you're making them adjust. And I think England's game plan was, like, do what we know how to do and what we're comfortable with, to Joe's point, not lose. Um, and then as we sort of gain a foothold, as we get more comfortable, as the nerves die down a little bit, then we can start making the little adjustments that are necessary to get into the game, to get a goal or two and find a way to win. I think for Germany's part... I was, I had some expectations about what they would look like and those were not met. And that's not even to say that like I was wrong. It's more so that I'm just still kind of unclear on what Germany were trying to do. I thought a huge part of it was going to be Thomas Muller like finding space and then Joshua Kimmich doing the same. And so you'd have like Kimmich and Muller in central midfield alongside Goretzka and Kroos. And then how do England sort of nullify four very good midfielders? But that's not what ended up happening. And a weird sort of specific thing that to me speaks volumes about this Germany team today is that Thomas Muller, at least in the first half, I saw pretty constantly yelling at his teammates and telling them where they needed to be and telling them when they needed to track and having lots of conversations with Timo Werner about where he was supposed to be. And I don't know if that was Thomas Muller just being sort of demanding and wanting to occupy certain spaces and not have other people there, or if it was Thomas Muller having to tell everybody what the game plan was. But either way, in those opening moments when that kept happening, it felt like that's not the way this is supposed to be. There are things that aren't quite right with this German team, and I wonder how they will solve those problems, and I think they didn't really, and I think England grew into it, and now here we are with Ryan being very happy. 
I am very happy indeed. Now, I hope I've not exceeded the insufferable ometer at this point. Um, but uh, uh, maybe- for me and Joe, you have not. I'll speak for Joe. For Graham, yeah, you you're definitely f- have. Way, way past it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Graham, what, what did you make of this England setup? It's it's um it's, it's coherent, isn't it? From Gareth Southgate, it's it's held together. The team hasn't conceded a goal. Um, it's it's a solid founding, and it's the kind of team that goes far in a tournament because it's you know d- defenses win championships, as the old adage goes. So I, I was the one, as you referenced earlier, I was the one who said if if this goes wrong for Southgate, he is going to get absolutely slaughtered. And I, I initially I thought he had actually got it wrong. Um, the, I don't know if you remember the first kind of ten fifteen minutes. I I actually thought Germany were the 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 better team. There was a couple of runs from Leon Goretzka through the middle. Um, and he he was kind of I mentioned previously about Germany that I was concerned about their lack of athleticism in the centre. So he seemed to be a bit of a his inclusion over Gundogan seemed to be a little bit of a, a response to that. And in the first ten minutes, he embarks on kind of two surging runs, and there seemed to be a real detachment between Rice and Phillips and and the back four. And actually, there's a um, there's a big chance for Timo Werner, which comes from a slotted pass in between. I think it's Walker and Stones. Um, and Pickford makes the save. And b- just minutes before that, maybe even seconds before that, Pickford had been screaming at his defence, pretty much warning him of that and warning him of, of that space. And, and basically, t- John Stones was telling him to, to calm down. So it's Pickford was, was slightly vindicating that. And what happened after that was that England seemed to move 10 yards. Their defensive line seemed to move 10 yards up the pitch. And that seemed to make all the difference. And that small alt- alteration, I, I think kind of just um, suffocated Germany a little bit, and and I think this was a this was a landmark game for Southgate, and I, and I I liken it to how I wasn't convinced of Solskjaer as a coach and a manager until all of a sudden I was, and I know Taylor might not be uh, in agreement with me on this one, but there there comes a point where you just think this isn't a deficiency, this is actually a plan. And that's that's what I felt with Southgate today was in previous games, England obviously haven't found top gear in an attacking sense. And you're thinking, is this Southgate, is this just an inability to actually spark an attack, an attacking structure in this team to find an attacking structure? And so today I think was proof that this is actually a, a bit of a plan. And yes, it relies on elements of good fortune, like for instance, the, the Thomas Muller chance which he really should score and at that point it should be 1-1 and then it's a very different game so yes when you kind of level the playing field in this way as Southgate is doing you're always going to need a, um, some good fortune but it's very similar to what France did very successfully at the, at the 2018 World Cup isn't it and and so yeah I think Vin- Southgate can can feel uh, very pleased about his work today. Look I just don't I don't love that Joe and I now have to be the outlets for Graham's frustration because he doesn't want to have to go at Ryan anymore so <laughs> in one explanation he praised Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactical preparation and also <laughs> said should have scored in the exact same moment. So well <laughs> so done for annoying both of so us there did. Graham. But, but I think also your your point there about them uh, stepping up England stepping up that line I think is, is very valid and very critical Critical to this game because a couple minutes before that save from Pickford, uh, 27.35 on the clock, uh, 
is when Germany do have some numbers central, they do move the ball very quickly, and it ends up just getting poked away by, I think, Calvin Phillips. And it's sort of a fortunate moment, but it exemplifies how fast Germany can play when they want to and move the ball when they want to, and how England being a yard too deep or a yard too far to one side is all that it takes for Germany to find those moments. And so that they have another one a couple minutes later, and then they change it up and step higher and try to frustrate Germany, and I think do so effectively. I does I think does speak volumes about the way that Gareth Southgate sets his team up, but then makes sort of logical, like, uh, I don't know, like actionable changes that the team can respond to as opposed to individual moments or individual adjustments until you get to halftime and then you can change the team. Yeah. And it was a risk, obviously, changing changing the um, formation for this one, but it seemed to pay off. And I thought there's a lot of really good individual performances as well. Like um, uh, Saka, I thought, was really good, found some decent pockets of space. Raheem Sterling's now scored 15 goals in his last 20 matches for England. I don't quite understand why he still gets abuse for getting on the starting uh, um, 11. Uh, Calvin Phillips, really good, seemed to cover loads of space, lots of runs forward. He was getting ahead of Harry Kane. He was setting him up once or twice. Uh, Jack Grealish made a big difference, I, I thought, when he came on. Go on, Greg. I thought, I thought Harry Maguire had probably yep. the, the best game I've seen him mm. potentially ever have. I was going to say for England, but then I actually think that England Harry Maguire is the best Harry Maguire. So if it's his best game for England, then by extension, I think it might have been his best game ever. I just, I just thought he was, he, he, in lockdown, strangely, with no fans in the stands, I never thought of Harry Maguire as much of a vocal leader. But actually, in in COVID times, I've I've heard a lot more of him, and I th- I think he has definitely grown in that sense. And today really felt like a game he wanted to impose himself on. He's 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 important to the way England, not just in terms of um, physical presence at the back and getting his head on things. By the way, for someone who is so good at winning, I tweeted this out. For someone who is so good at winning a header, Harry Maguire is terrible at heading a ball. It just goes in different directions. It's like it hits a corner of his head and just goes, there was a chance in this game where he really should hit the target with, with a header and it goes in a wild direction. But anyway, he's very important to the way that they, they play, um, in a possession sense out from the back as well. And I, yeah. I think they England are a much better team with him involved. He, yeah, and it's it's also the presence he has as well, Graham. You're quite right there. But if um, Taylor, you were talking about Thomas Muller shouting at his teammates, so you could see Harry Maguire sort of doing it. Maybe not to, to negative effect, but I think there was a point where he was giving giving some to um, to Henderson for for misplacing or not being there for the pass. And he he just he's just he's there. He's a presence. He's got a massive head. He's got a presence. Um, yeah, it's been really fun in this tournament to see all the different Manchester United players play better for their national teams than they do for <laughs> Manchester United. It's a really 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 fun thing that we get to keep talking about. Well, how about we talk about a potential future Manchester United player, Harry Kane, Taylor, hey. um, who I am I have seem to be on a one man crusade against him. I found that for large portions of this game, he was quite anonymous. He he was going. I think we talked about the way he dropped steep, and he did do that a little bit in this game as well. And I think I noted in in our in our chat how there was one point where Calvin Phillips ran ahead of him, and for Spurs we've seen in dozens of times put a perfectly weighted pass in someone's path, but he just lumped it. And even for the goal, oh, which goal was it? It was the second goal, wasn't it? Jack, um, where Jack Grealish assisted for uh, for him. I think I'm thinking of the right one. Where he receives the ball on the edge of the box between two centre-backs. He's got a ton of space. 
Harry Kane of a year or two ago would have turned and taken the shot himself and he would have that's had the loads of space. To, that was the first one, excuse yeah. me. But that's the one where he would have done it and taken taken the goal on himself. Instead, he plays it out wide um, uh, for, for uh, was it, Luke Shaw, who, who Luke put Shaw, it in for yeah. Sterling. So I just um, want to be really clear, Ryan, then. So not the goal that he scored, but the goal that he helped facilitate. That's the one that you think wasn't good enough? I see what you've done there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I know, obviously, he's had quite a lot of impact in this game, yes. But I just feel like... I don't know, I expect a little more from him is all. Is that fair? I think you could maybe make the argument that this is the one aspect of Southgate's lineup that I think, I'm with Graham, that I think like overall, if this doesn't go, if this goes the other way in Germany, win 2-0, I think he is attacked for switching the formation. I think he's attacked for playing the double pivot as he did the more defensive one. And I think he probably gets criticism for starting Harry Kane again, because Harry Kane is not going to offer you the sort of movement you need and the threat in behind to start him up top and alleviate the pressure if Germany have sustained possession. But what I think he does do really well is convert chances when you give him opportunities to do so. When you put the ball to him in the box or near the box, I think he he's pretty good with that. And I think he also is very good at holding up play and linking play. And that's where I think I messaged you all before the game that I, I would have liked to see them have him almost like drift wide the way Belgium used Lukaku and then attack through the middle with, with the pace they did have. But I think that's a like a sort of you're asking him to do something that doesn't come naturally. Again, it's I'm not even going to go with the spots analogy that I, I butchered yesterday, but I'll just say that I think if you put him in, in the position where he is most comfortable and you give him service and numbers around him, I think you see him score goals and look pretty threatening. If you put him 60 yards away from the goal and ask him to do a bunch of running, he is the opposite of threatening. I also want to add there with Harry Kane, this whole Harry Kane discourse, I feel like we kind of overlook just how milk toasty, how bland England are with the ball for 98% of the game, right? That we've already talked about in this show, how that is kind of England's approach. And that's how they control games. And that's how they become the offensive version of France. Uh, France tend to sit off more. England tend to have control of the ball more. But neither team is this high ball dominant possession team. England don't do a bunch of crazy great stuff with the ball. They had tactical problems with their possession setup that, I mean, they were everywhere. Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice far too close to the center backs, the outside center backs for England, essentially making Kyle Walker and Harry Maguire redundant for parts of this game. Yeah, I know Harry Maguire had a good game. Walker did some good things too. But I mean, they could have had even better games if those central midfielders had been pushed up a little higher and able to combine with the wingers when they dropped. I mean, there are problems with this England setup, but I don't think that a lot of folks ever apply those problems to Harry Kane's situation. What is Harry Kane supposed to do, right? He was dropping in this game. He just wasn't getting the ball because he had Matt Hummels right on his back because no one was running into that space after he dropped down. I mean, it, it would take, I think, an Erling Holland level number nine, just a super... Uh, you know, a ridiculously talented, incredible, fast, elite level number nine to make this England team look dominant in the way that I think people want Harry Kane to make this team look dominant. And I just don't think it's fair to Harry Kane really at all. I just, and I, and I just I think, think it's okay. sorry. I was going to say I, I just think it's his it's his execution to me that seems slightly off. So as as Ryan was mentioning there, when he when he is, but it's not so much that he's not. I, I understand what you're saying about him. You know, he, he isn't getting involved in, in, in the team as much as you'd like. That is not really on him. But when he is getting involved, I just feel like the execution is slightly off. He's overplaying passes. He doesn't seem to be backing himself when he is in a position to take a shot. Um, and that might be harsh because obviously he's still contributing. He had played a big role in these two games, but we are talking about 
probably, you know, a top three Premier League player last season. He was both productive in terms of his goals and his assists. And, and I just feel on both sides, it, he's not as sharp as he normally is. I think that's one of the things about Hurricane. When he's at his best, it feels like there's conviction to everything he does. And at the moment, I'm not feeling that when I'm watching him. Yeah, I think I, I'm totally with you, Graham. And I think I'm less critical of that, though, because it's the same thing as to why I was willing to kind of let Bruno Fernandes off the hook a little bit. Going back years, it's been Tottenham not signing a deputy for Harry Kane and relying on Harry Kane to play every single game and score a lot of goals for them. And eventually that catches up to them and he starts getting injuries. But I think they continue to ride him as much as they can. And I, and I do, I feel, I feel like there's an interesting article to be written about the players that have played the most games or been the kind of most important players for their clubs and how they're faring in this tournament because I think some are probably rising to the occasion but at least with Bruno Fernandes and Harry Kane I think the fatigue of the last couple seasons is probably showing and maybe again they're at 95% or 92% but that that is a difference and it can impact performance overall. Um, Taylor, it's pronounced Bruno Fernandes by the oh, way. My, my, Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, is that better? Right. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. Well, I want to get it right. Uh, Joe, um, let, let's talk about Germany for a second. Put yourself in Yogi Love's shoes and don't don't pick your nose or put your hand in your pants. Just put you in your shoes for a second. You've got, you've got your team out there at Wembley where there's expectation for you to win because you usually do. Uh, but you've seen your team, haven't really woken up. Bit too relaxed. No urgency about them. You're 2-0 down with about five minutes of regular time to go, Joe. You're Yogi Love and then you bring on Emery Chan? Yes. What's that about? Yes, it's all part of my plan, Ryan. You don't even understand <laughs> my... I don't really know what the thinking is there. But for Germany, this game was lost long before then, right? They come out and they we've already talked about this. They have some good moments in the opening minutes. I thought they were causing England problems with their runs in behind. Goretzka, Timo Werner looking for those spaces. Thomas Muller moving and shifting and finding some good spots as well. They did some nice things early on. And then the Germany that we've seen earlier on in this tournament, really in every game but the Portugal game, where they beat Portugal with a really simple wide overload with Gosens driving forward and, and doubling up against Semedo over and over again for all four goals that they scored in that game. That Portugal game is the only time we've seen Germany actually threaten in the final third. And they didn't threaten again today. They move the ball slowly. They don't have cohesive off-ball patterns to be able to break through a, a team that's as strong defensively as England are. Yes, they had some nice movement between the lines. Mats Hummels played some nice balls to break lines out of the back. But they did that against France. They moved the ball forward against France, and they, they created some in that game, but they haven't been a dominant chance creation team. And I think that's kind of what you have to be to beat England. And, and really, at this point, there aren't a lot of those teams left. Plus, they made Yogi Lowe wear a belt. And I think that really... That really limited his ability to have the freedom of expression and ability to, you know, do things that he wants to do during a game. And it's a little bit like Dwight Schrute having to wear long sleeves. Like, it, it's a straitjacket. It's a prison. It confines him. I do think that it requires a Hannibal Lecter-esque level of restraint to stop him or to stop him from doing the things he does because he still did plenty of kind of gross things throughout this game. But I think maybe that's just the, the, the frustration of his overall German team because... There wasn't a whole lot going on for them, and I think there was a lot more going on for England. I think they've made a lot of really smart choices on the day. Maybe I'm just being too positive about it overall, but I have I have much more to say, Ryan, but I don't want to uh, dominate like the entirety of the conversation and go on for 15 minutes. That's fine. That's fine. I didn't notice the belt thing, by the way. Do you think if Germany had won this the next game, they'd have made him wear Charlie Kelly kitten mittens? 
as well. I, I mean, I, that's what I'm getting at is I think that's the only way you're going to stop him is to keep taking those preventable measures. And then it's just going to look even stranger. So I, I guess I'm glad that he is now free to do whatever he wants. Uh, but I, I also, going back to Southgate for a moment, I thought uh, the introduction of Jack Grealish, I think he makes a lot of sense as a super sub. Maybe we'll see him start the next game, but he just changes up what England are doing and gives them such a different look and is obviously involved in both goals. I think it makes it hard if you're the opponent to adjust what you're doing to sort of take that into consideration on the fly and really does give England a different look and a much more threatening look at times. Indeed. Well, thank you, Gareth Southgate. Thank you, Ed Sheeran, of course, for uh, being the inspiration for this because all... um Young people in their early 20s of a male disposition love Ed Sheeran, right? That's what they're all getting G'd up for, for a major sporting event. Am I am I right? Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Maybe Can we also say Jordan right. Pickford really fast? Just because I feel like that's another player who got a lot of stick uh, at various points and mm-hmm. has two very, very big saves when it's yes. still nil-nil. That Graham already mentioned one. He has the other one. Uh, on was it Goretzka who hit that volley that it could have easily been 2-0 and instead Jordan Pickford kept it level and then England got the win as Havertz wasn't it I think who hit that oh yes it was Havertz yes Yes, thank you Pavar style volley which yes very Mm -hmm. if it had gone a yard or two either side it would have been trouble for Pickford but yes very good goalkeeping performance very good England performance I think too we can agree England through to the quarterfinals where they will face the winner of Ukraine versus Sweden find out who that is after these messages, but you probably know already. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Why don't we take ourselves to just a little few miles down the road from Graham Rutherford to Hamden Park, Sweden against Ukraine. This one going all the way to extra time. 121st minute header, um, winning it for Ukraine from Artem Dobik. Um, Graham, I felt a little robbed by not getting yes. penalties in this one. We, we sat through a long game here. I, I'll tell you what I compare this game to. Gas station sushi surprisingly good but then maybe you didn't need the whole thing and it got quite bad towards the end fair uh, one <laughs> yeah well after 110 minutes of eating gas station sushi i think would do some damage to me to be honest but um yeah after uh, once you get to about 110 minutes i think that's the point with 10 minutes to go or or, or even um kind of half time and extra time i guess you're starting to think i better get a penalty shout out of this mm. <laughs> and so one. to get to to get to 121 minutes and for that to happen happen was quite honestly devastating. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess um, Ukraine deserved it. And in the end, I, I did feel like they probably edged it on the whole. They were helped, of course, by the red card. But um, yeah, this, I think this was a better game than we all predicted it would be. I mean, I know it, lo- it, it, it had dips and there were lulls and so on, but I think we predicted this was going to be um, one of the worst games in the tournament and it wasn't. Joe, do you agree with that? 
I totally agree. I, the, one of the first lines in my notes is, I really enjoyed this game. And that's true. I enjoyed it less from more the... More than the Dark Knight. S- more than, yes, legitimately, yes. <laughs> I enjoyed it less from the 70th minute onward. That's, it got a little insanity. slow. That's insanity, <laughs> Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Joe, come on. The, the whole set piece with the boat and the Joker and the boat full of, uh, you know, criminals and the boat full of... <laughs> in, uh, I, I, that, that bit could have been cut out, but come on. Come on, it was better than this game. <laughs> With that description, were you also asleep, Ryan? Yeah, I'm not, I don't know what just happened. I think we slept through the same part, Ryan. Fair. I, I, I also, I, yeah. Let's just move. Let's move past Batman here. I think there were lots of good stretches of this game. Not all of it was good, as Graham said, but I, I think there were a lot of different tactical wrinkles that I didn't expect here. Right. So Sweden came out in their 442 block, but in possession, they were in more of a three at the back shape that had uh, the the wing back on the left side, Augustinsson getting high and then Emil Forsberg tucking inside to play as either a tucked in winger or another central midfielder. And I thought Forsberg was awesome in this game. Ukraine changed their shape entirely with and without the ball in this game, going for more of a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, depending on the positioning of that left winger, left central midfielder. And either way, that was a change from their 4-3-3 that they've used in the group stage. So there were tweaks that I I enjoyed going through and trying to figure out. And it, it just had a really nice back and forth nature to it. For most of this game, even in the second half, when the tempo dipped, there were still possessions for for one side and then possessions for the other side. And then in extra time, a bunch of chaotic things happened. And overall, this game was much more exciting than any one of us were giving it credit for yesterday. And I think I, I agree with you, Joe. And I think I was the one who was least excited about this one. And no, that was me. Uh, okay, <laughs> then then, then uh, I will give you the top spot, Ryan. But uh, but I I think uh, coming into this game, I was expecting that if we got uh, Isak and Kulishevsky in this game, it, w- it would be a little bit more fun. It would be a little bit more interesting. And I I didn't fully realize just how important and good uh, Emil Forsberg is for this uh, Sweden team until this game because. I, 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 I got uh, a lot of justifiable criticism for saying Sweden really, really want this to get to the, get to halftime because I thought they were going to concede another one when they were trying to push at the end of the first half. But Emil Forsberg keeps moving around, keeps trying to find space. And when he finally gets an opening in front of goal or near goal, he puts in the shot that leads to the goal. Little deflection there, but still you got to take the shot to get the goal. And I thought he was really excellent, especially in that first half and was the, Basically, the main way that Sweden were able to get anything going, and it's it's just an impressive performance from him. Obviously, an pr- impressive performance overall from both teams, and more so Ukraine in the end. But I thought Emil Forsberg really uh, was uh, elevated in my estimations. Yeah, he was a standout Swede where maybe Isaac has been previously. Graham, how mm-hmm. much more Bayern Munich gonna have to pay for him now? <laughs> well, he's under, under contract till twenty twenty five, so I make that about. Uh, we'll say about sixty million euros. We'll see. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of the ones who's he's been with them since the the Spy Bundesliga. I think. I think he moved to Leipzig when they were down in the lower divisions, and then stuck with them as they came through. So, uh, good for him to finally get the uh, the international credit. As soon as as soon as I saw Kulusevsky on this team sheet, I had a feeling that between For- Forsberg, Isak, and Kulusevsky, that that this might not be the game that we that we thought it, yeah. it was going to be because obviously I don't think Kulusevsky had started a game until this one. It had been Marcus Berg and then Quazon, I think maybe had started a previous game. 
So um, this this was uh, this was Jan Anderson kind of. I, I felt like this was him going for it a little bit more, and that creative hub of those three, I think, just gives Sweden such threat. And sorry to bring it back to bring it round to Scotland as I tend to do, but we often compare ourselves to countries like Sweden, and and just looking at that kind of creative attacking hub that they've got of those three players, and we are absolutely nowhere near that in in the final third. So uh, yeah, they they do a lot of damage for for Sweden. Joe, it seemed like Sweden certainly were in charge for a large parts of the game, certainly large parts of the second half, I'd say. Is it a case that they just simply didn't take their chances and, and Forsberg's a bit unlucky with the amount of times he hit the woodwork? I mean, kind of. I don't. Sweden didn't create a ton of high-quality chances, right? We, we can get trapped into thinking, oh, if it hits the woodwork, it was a good chance because it was close to going on frame. That's not necessarily the case, right? At Forsberg, a lot of his shots were coming from distance. A lot of Sweden's shots in general were coming from distance. They didn't rack up a ton of expected goals in this game, and I don't think they really possessed in a huge number of dangerous areas. I will say, though, for that goal and, and for a couple of other chances for them in this game, they did take advantage of space on the weak side of Ukraine's front five, kind of, because depending on the shape for Ukraine, it it was the back three and then the wing backs tucking into a back five and then either three central midfielders and two forwards or, or two and three. It, it doesn't really matter. Either way, Ukraine would shift their numbers towards the ball side, which then left space on the opposite side, oftentimes just in the middle vertical strip of the field or maybe the, the half space for them to switch the ball over and find space to then shoot or then play a key pass and get a shooting opportunity. Sweden didn't take advantage of that as much as I think they could have. And I think if Ukraine run the system again, uh, come out in this shape again, they will maybe get exposed going forward in this tournament. But Sweden still didn't didn't find a ton of high quality chances. Ukraine, to their credit, I think did a good job of taking advantage of the opportunities they had against Sweden's block. And they didn't create a ton either. But that first goal, Oh my goodness gracious, that was a textbook, pretty much non-replicable, so it's not a, not a great example. But man, if you're going to beat Sweden, like that's, that's how you do it. The switch over to Yarmolenko on the far side, outside of Sweden's block, so you don't have to mess with all those numbers in the middle. Then Yarmolenko plays this just incredible left-footed ball across with the outside of that left foot over to Zinchenko, who hits the ball on the far side now of Sweden's block. They're all so central, so compact. Zinchenko gets on the ball, hits it on the half volley, and scores that incredible goal for Ukraine's opener. They did show what we've talked about them earlier in this tournament. They did show an ability to break down a low block, and they didn't do it as many times as they'd like to, but they they still showed some pretty impressive offensive output in this game. So that's the way to beat a Swedish low block, a a Zidane-esque gravity defying uh, <laughs> assist with the outside of the boot is the way you well, got to do it i do i, yes, I, I thought it was yes. a really pretty goal we've seen some great goals at this tournament but that that assist was sublime i love a smash it in really hard from six yards finish as well um yeah great great stuff and then graham did i interrupt you there no, I was just going to say that that was the thing that about both Ukraine goals where I actually thought Sweden were doing a good job of, even when they went down to 10 men, of forcing Ukraine to go around them. They were keeping things quite compact and narrow in, in the middle. And, but, and, and if it isn't for two incredible deliveries into them, because the second one is also, I think it's from Zinchenko. Um, yeah, it is from Zinchenko, isn't it? Um, if it's not for two incredible deliveries, they probably hold firm and get away with it. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, you know, Anderson will, will analyze this game afterwards and I'm not sure he'll find much wrong that his team actually did. And equally, Ukraine kind of, um, get through this match through two moments of 
individual brilliance as well, you know. And so I guess in a strange way, there's positives for both teams to take take from that. And Ukraine, we have seen that from the Maryland tournament that they can produce things like that. I just, I just thought that was quite interesting the way things uh, panned out in, in extra time as well. That ball in from uh, Zinchenko, by the way, for for the winner. It, like watching it again, like uh, Dolvrek, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that properly, but like it's credit to him. He's there. He's in between the two center backs. He gets on the end of it. He finishes it. He does what you got to do. But that ball is under pressure from the channel with a defender in front of him and a defender like put it, applying pressure from behind that he plays it in and bends it around I think three different Swedish defenders but keeps it away from the goalkeeper like he has no business being able to play that ball it is so perfect from Zinchenko and I, I tweeted this before we started recording one of my sort of trends I think I'm spotting in this in this competition so far is the importance of uh, good attacking left wing backs because there have been a lot of them doing a lot of things in this tournament with uh, Spinazzola, with Zuber, with Luke Shaw today, with Torgan Hazard, and now uh, with Zinchenko here, though Zinchenko can obviously be a central midfielder. But I thought, again, the, the game plan from Shevchenko to put him out wide with Lustig not wanting to get forward, knowing that that would then give him the space out wide to attack and get into, and when he picked his spots to to utilize it properly, I thought he, he had another excellent game and just continues to get better and better, Zinchenko. Indeed, he does. Uh, my favourite part of this game and possibly this tournament was the restart after the um, the second Ukraine goal, by the way. I don't know if you noticed, but the Swedish players all lining up on the halfway line. I'm not sure how many of you have seen Ted Lasso, but it was the Lasso special. <laughs> I was expecting a Manning to be shouting Omaha behind them. Uh, it was. It, it's not something you see every day, I'd say that. And they all sort of were on the left side and waiting for a ball to be launched up to them. Didn't come to much effect, but I, I very much enjoyed that. So it's, that- telling, it's telling about this tournament that, like, with, it, with the way everything has gone, when that goal went in for Ukraine, I still was like, but there's a chance. Sweden might actually equalize because stranger things have happened so far. They didn't end up doing it. That would have probably been the strangest thing to have, ha- to have happened. But, uh, yeah, I was still, like, not comfortable with uh, like closing the notebook or, and in the same way that I had started to think about drawing the penalty diagram and then I did not for fear that I would jinx things and here we are with no penalties. Hang on, you, 121st minute and you hadn't started the diagram yet. How quickly do you whip those things up, Taylor? Uh, in a hurry, in a hurry. But I was, <laughs> you know, you don't want to waste the paper, man. You don't want to waste the paper. And really, it would have felt foolish to start doing that. And then what that would have meant was not looking at the screen when the winning goal happened. Very true. It would have been like one of those Graham Rutherford match reports that never gets published because there was a last minute goal. <laughs> and as we learned in this game, if you try to do maybe too many things at once and you're not fully paying attention to what you're actually doing, that can be a red card. So maybe it's not the best idea to try to do too many things all at the same time. Just do the one thing and do it well and don't injure somebody while you do it. Wise sage advice for life, Tay-Tay. Uh, Sweden 1, Ukraine 2 was the result that Ukraine will be going to Roma on Saturday, 3 Eastern. They'll be facing the eventual winners of the tournament. We'll be back right after these messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We're going to be looking forward to uh, some of the games that are upcoming in this tournament. Maybe have a little look back at what we've enjoyed the most thus far. But something we were remiss to not mention previously on the Sweden-Ukraine game is the red card, Marcus Danielsson's red card in the 99th minute. Uh, this one kind of split the TSS gang in half as to whether it was deserved or not. Tete, why don't you set it up? Well, I think it's it's just where I got confused because I was one of the ones who who did initially think like, well, he goes for the ball, he kicks the ball, then he gets the player. Yeah, that's a foul. Yeah, it's a yellow card. But is it just the severity of the incident that makes it a red? And that was the question I posed. Graham pretty vehemently saying it's definitely a red card. And I think not that I was ever on the side of like it never should have been a red card, but I was just sort of confused because he kicks the ball. I do think the way it got covered here was sort of a that was malicious. That was intentional. He was trying to break a leg. And and I don't agree with that, but I do agree with Graham's explanation of why it's a red card. Graham. Yeah, so I, I um, not to be too abrasive about it, but I, I just can't really fathom how this would be anything other than a red card. Um, a lot of people talking about the, the fact that he's won the ball and he's gone for the ball, and that, that is absolutely correct. He has won the ball, but the law doesn't say anything about winning the ball. It's it's, it's reckless endangerment. Um, for me, it's quite clear he's not in control of his, his own body. He, he endangers an opponent by uh, stretching as far as he does for the ball. And, that, and that's proven by the, the damage that he actually causes to, to the, the, the Ukrainian player who leaves the pitch. I'm not quite sure why he wasn't put on a stretcher, to be honest. He seemed to be having great difficulty walking back to the, the dressing room. But um, yeah, and, and as as for what um, Taylor kind of posed the, the question of, well, he's he's um, he doesn't know that the player's there, but I would I would contest that he's stretching so far for the ball that if, if he doesn't realise he's under pressure, he just waits for the ball to come to him. And so in making that stretch, and he really is stretching as far as he can go. I mean, his leg won't go any further and his studs are up and they're up high. They're up to about the knee of the opposition player, which is where he makes contact, or just below the knee, I should say. Um, he just waits for that ball to come to him if, if, if he's not under pressure or if he doesn't think he's under pressure. And, and really, to be honest, it was one of the, I thought it was one of the most shocking incidents I'd seen for a while. I mean, the, the guy is lucky to have a leg still, quite frankly. It really was a, for me, it was a, it was a leg breaker that it, it really could have snapped his leg into. Great. So Graham, like, does it, I, like I'm not arguing I'm just asking uh like do you feel like it's immaterial the intentionality of it like that because the boot was that high because of where the contact was and how sort of much follow through is the wrong term but just that like because his leg is the way it is there's not going to be much give it's instead going to put even more pressure on the Ukrainian player's leg like is is that sort of where it comes from that intentionality doesn't matter it's just reckless yeah. it's dangerous and it's brutal and it should be a red yeah, I think I think the, gotcha. the 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 key part is endangering an opponent. Mm-hmm. And if I'm if I'm an opponent, if I put myself in the shoes of that Ukrainian player, that is a dangerous situation to go into, where a, a, you're rushing towards a player who has his leg completely outstretched and with studs up and high. It seems quite clear to me. Again, I don't want to be too abrasive about it because I definitely think I have the the strongest opinions on this out of the crew. But um, yeah, it's it's just a clear red card for me. I I completely get that. Graham, but then I think of someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic where 95% of his challenges would just be straight red cards 
<laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. the same. It's, um, in all sincerity, it's the same thing, isn't well, it? He's always doing that. Well, if if that's if that is the case, he should be getting red cards. Then, if if he's making challenges like that, well, then he is. You, that, we know he is. He's always got his boot up at like head level with his stud show, and even if he, he he wins the ball and it's successful quite a lot, but that's still reckless endangerment, isn't it? And by the same logic, yeah, I, I guess it is. I mean, I I I I don't have like a specific incident to like point to, but if that's what's if that if that if he's doing that, and uh, then yeah. There's, well, there's two incidents that I think could probably be also of significance here. One would be that I think Gary Lineker was saying this definitely isn't a red card. And then he tweeted the one later on of I forget it was like like the Swedish player, yeah. that go, the Ukrainian player that goes through and has the shot that then the knee hits Berg's uh, head. And and like right there, I, I think initially I kind of was like, well, yeah, like he's out of control. He slams into the guy. Is that not the same thing? Then you watch it again in slow motion. And then like kind of the reality of the situation is what it is, which is. I mean, Berg is like on the ground, his head at a, is at a lower level, and it's a shooting motion, and the follow-through, I would say, is not reckless or out of control. He gets a shot off, so it's not like he's just stretching and then boots the player. So I think that was a sort of a, an unfair comparison that maybe was drawn, and instead I would point to near the very end of the game, there's a Ukrainian player who has a very similar moment of the balls in the air, there's a Swedish player running towards him, and he just pokes the ball away and gets his foot out of there and the Swedish player runs right by. And I think that to me is an example of he makes the play, but he's still in control of his body such that he can retract the leg and not end up almost breaking a leg. And, and, and it makes a difference that if you're straining to the level that you can't adjust, you can't get out of the way of something, I would argue then you're not in control of your body at that point because you can't adjust. It's like speeding and not being able to slow down in time. It's going to lead to an accident or a dangerous situation. And in this case, it leads to a red card. There's always going to be a layer of, of subjectivity to mm-hmm. what what is reckless. And I'm thinking back to there was, was there, did Liam Cooper in a Premier League game, he got sent off for, or was it Liam Cooper? For Leeds against Manchester City, I think it was, or the, or was it was it a Manchester City player who got sent off? I can't remember. <laughs> this isn't a very good example, but that that was much more. I, I could see the argument either way on that one. It was much more of a he's cleared the ball and sort of followed through oh, in a natural was, wasn't motion. It I can't remember who it was. As I, think as I was, say, this has turned into a terrible example. No, but I think it was Brighton a, were involved as well, which makes it even harder. <laughs> but I think it was like, I can't remember who it was exactly, but Graham, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the follow through, yeah. makes contact, so, and it's a red card for it. So you're, so with that one, you, I was thinking that that's a natural sort of follow through mm-hmm. emotion of kicking the ball, and he, he happens to catch an opponent. That one was much closer to... Um, kind of a sporting incident, I guess. But I, with this one, I, I, I just think it's so far past that line of subjectivity that I, I can't see it as anything other than a red. I, um, I'm a bit worried that Joe might have treated this like a Christopher Nolan movie, so we should um, maybe <laughs> move, move the conversation on from here. It, it, it is an interesting debate. Uh, oh, there he is. Hi, Joe. Um, I, I, why don't we move on and talk about the tournament thus far? I think we've mentioned that you know yesterday was an incredible slate of games. This has been a really, really, really good tournament. I was trying to think of some of my highlights and uh, the two games yesterday were fantastic. I remember, I seem to remember Denmark, Belgium being very good. You know, Italy had a really interesting and fun, roaring start to this. There's been a billion own goals. Uh, there was a tiny car that brought the ball onto the field. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about the women you, at the desk. <laughs> yes, Lee, Hungarian lady at the desk. Wonderful. Um, Joe, what, any highlights that you wanted to uh, point to thus far? For me, my two biggest ones, the, the the best one by far for me personally, is just Denmark's performance in this tournament. 
after the opening game for them, the second day of this tournament, and, and to have them come back and be just a really, really good soccer team. Like, they could be one of the best teams left. I know there's only eight teams left, but there's there's a world where they're at least in the top half in terms of quality of the teams in this competition, which is so impressive playing without Christian Eriksen. Just everything that they've done in the way they play makes me love them so much, and I, I really am cheering for them throughout the rest of this competition. So that, just their overall performance in this tournament is the big one for me. And then also, it hasn't really sunk in yet for me still, but the fact that France lost yesterday is just so insane. And I don't think I thought it through enough when we recorded yesterday to really realize how crazy that was. But the fact that Switzerland beat them, and I, I think the Switzerland versus Spain game is going to be really fun, both both teams that can control the ball and do some fun things with it. Just the fact that that Switzerland team beat that France team with all the talent they have is insane to me. So so those two, Denmark and, and this, the Switzerland-France game, are massive ones. Agreed. Taylor, any thoughts? I'm with Joe, mostly that I'm still just sort of sitting here looking at these fixtures and being excited about most of them, but being shocked that there's no France, there's no Germany, there's no Portugal, there's no Netherlands, even Croatia, I thought would would maybe still be here at this point when we did our previews. So to see who we do have, I feel like we've got a lot of really interesting and exciting games, and then also Ukraine and England. Uh, but I think the one that I, I will definitely be the most excited for is Belgium-Italy, because I could see that going a number of different ways with lots of different uh, adjustments and little tactical changes, but big performances. I think that's going to be a really, really, really fun game. I don't I don't know about you guys, but looking at that slate of games, it's not what I expected no. for the quarterfinals. Not, in, not even in terms of individual teams, but just at this stage of a major tournament, you think it's going to be heavyweight clash after heavyweight clash. And obviously there's Belgium, Italy there, and there are good teams here. But as you mentioned, a number of the heavyweights have fallen by the wayside, and you've got a lot of kind of second-tier nations in there. You know, Switzerland, Czech Republic, England... Um and sorry, I mean, Denmark, Ryan, Ukraine. I, I would say the heavyweight, <laughs> the two heavyweights, like historically consistently, and not even historically consistently. You don't really have any of them, but I guess Spain and Belgium would be like the big ones with England just underneath. But even those two, aside from that, like the three tournament run when Spain won everything, Spain's tournament history has often been underperform or or have kind of flameouts in the wrong moments. Same yeah. goes for Belgium. So it's a really Oh, I guess I, I didn't include Italy in there, and I should have. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a very I, strange uh, like stage we've gotten to here. I always consider the three big hitters in European terms to be Italy, yep. France, and yep. Germany. Yep. Those are those are the three you can always count on those three countries to be there or thereabouts. So the fact that two of them aren't is quite notable. Graham, are you saying negative things about France? Because I just want you to know that if you are, Adrian Rabio's mother will find you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Would you care Should to explain angry? that, Taylor, for the listener? Uh, so I guess there was some French familial infighting uh, within that team, and maybe there was probably some some uh, not exactly harmonious situations with the squad, but I guess Rabio's mother... Like got into an altercation with I think Kylian Mbappe's family because she was alleging that Kylian Mbappe was too arrogant. But then there was I think there were a couple other family members involved of different players. It seems like maybe it wasn't the uh, one big happy family vibe that they might have hoped they would end up getting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the movie of this French team at this tournament. <laughs> and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson will definitely play Rabio, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably how it has to go. That makes sense to me. 
That makes sense. I, I can't tell them apart, the two of them. <laughs> Anywho, that's... I think prob- there's been enough... I, th- I was just going to say, I think there's been enough uh, movies of this French team. Just ask Karim Benzema. <laughs> hey We probably can't go any further on these active legal proceedings, Graham, so we'll leave it there, and we'll probably leave the show there for now. Taylor Rolkell, thank you so much for your contributions today, and always... Ryan, thank you very much to you, and congratulations to England. Sincerely, I am very happy for you. That said, there is, I think, a sizable contingent of people that were excited to hear Graham uh, get to have some fun if England did not win. And Graham, there have been many requests to have you do the introduction and sort of host the beginning of the show if it went, I shouldn't say when, but if England do end up getting knocked out. Uh, so just know that there are a lot of people who are looking forward to Graham uh, getting to roast Ryan at some point. I'll start writing my cold open right now. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Lowry, thank you so much, sir. Yeah, now I'm just really excited for that. I mean, Ryan, I am also happy for you, but man, Graham doing the intro for this show would would be really, really great. Just once, just once, Graham. And Graham (laughs) Rutherford, no matter how that intro goes, when England eventually do step out of this tournament, just know that we love you. Oh, that, I've, this is, I've been looking, I've, this was the bit I've been dreading more than the England chat. <laughs> I can't wait to give you a cuddle in real life, Graham. That's all I've got to say. Uh, okay, thanks, Ryan. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>